trailblazers, we head to the shooting range and chat to two absolute guns in their field. First up, we talk to Alina Galiabovic, who's not just an Olympian in the 25-metre pistol and 10-metre air pistol, she's also studying to become a urological surgeon. Then it's Penny Smith, the World Cup trap gold medal winner and mixed trap gold medalist of the world champs. You're listening to Trailblazers. joined by Alina Galiabovic. And Alina, thank you so much for taking some time out of your busy schedule to talk to us. Uh, you're actually in Sydney. You normally reside in Melbourne. Uh, tell us what you're doing uh, up in New South Wales. Sure. Well, we were competing just over the last weekend at Cessnock, one of the local competitions for New South Wales. And so we've come to Sydney for a bit of training before heading back to Melbourne. So when you are in Melbourne, what does a typical day look like for you? I've been asked that question a lot and actually this last year and now it's very hard to describe a typical day because I find my schedule can change so often because um, I'm not working full time. So that used to be my schedule and then training around that. So now the mix is doing training, my master's work, uh, shifts if I can find them, doing my exercise. So it sort of depends week to week really, uh, but um, if you would ask me what my ideal day would be, would be to start training in the morning, followed by all the other activities, but uh, sometimes that doesn't work out. Well, just to give our listeners some context, uh, Alina, you're studying from a master's degree. You're doing research work towards becoming a urological surgeon. Uh, I believe that the shifts you speak of are working as a locum in hospitals in Melbourne. Uh, that sounds crazy busy. Is that how it feels for you? It does. And sometimes it's hard to get a bit of perspective like no it's okay I am ticking those boxes because there are so many things going on. And has the impact of COVID-19 given you more time to dedicate to your studies? Well yes and no. Uh, last year I'd intended the year to be a bit of a study year while preparing for Tokyo but I knew that I'd most likely be traveling and competing prior to the games if I were successful enough to get in. Uh, so the second half of the year would be study mainly but with COVID everything changed but that also meant that my studies were delayed too because the master's application was delayed so everything was delayed uh, I was of course working and research things in the meantime anyway um, that was my intention to help my surgical application but I don't feel like I necessarily gain time um, we lose a lot of things with the anxiety of COVID and changing of our environments but I made the best of it well, a medical career is obviously quite a high workload as well. How far into your studies are you? Well, look, I've worked as a doctor for a number of years now. Fortunately, last year I got onto the urology training program, which I've deferred. I was going to start this year, but I've deferred for Tokyo. Uh, so I'll be starting next year. And that program itself will be a minimum of, of another five years. Oh, so not long. But enough. yeah, the studies that I'm doing <laughs> at the moment is... Um, well, it's sort of an extra higher degree. It's a Master of Surgery that will help me along the way, but it's not 
necessarily part of that training program. And so what work do you get to undertake at the moment? Uh, I mean, you're kind of a frontline worker, right? Uh, I am. Um, time when I work at the COVID screening clinic, I also do some work for the urology department at Monash Health, where I worked prior to um, starting to train for Tokyo. Um, so just bits and pieces, whatever whatever I can find. I'm hoping to do some surgical assisting after Tokyo with surgeons and a bit more urology work after Tokyo to get myself ready for the training program. So does this mean you've uh, had a vaccine yet? I haven't yet had a vaccine. I'm waiting for my notif- notification very eagerly. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, tell me, how do your two careers correlate? Uh, of course, they both require precision. Uh, are some of the skills transferable? I think so. I really think that uh, shooting or participation in sport has greatly helped me in medicine. So there's a lot of things, even from like just staying calm under pressure or decision-making under pressure or resilience, perseverance. When you talk about surgery, though, um, surgery itself is a very technical task. It's a lot of fine motor skills and things like that involved. And for the last few years, I've been holding that in shooting. So I know what it takes to master specific skills and be very precise and pay attention to detail. So I definitely think there are a lot of things that are transferable. And I think each has helped with the other, if that makes sense. Mm. Uh, well, they are both high-pressure environments. So what made you want to go into the medical sciences? Was that something you wanted to do since you were you were little? No, I don't really remember knowing what I wanted to do as a child. I don't think I ever knew, really. Um, and after school, I wasn't that sure either, but I started with new degrees. I started doing slightly broader degrees, and so I did a Bachelor of Biomedicine uh, that was quite sciencey, but also aimed at health science rather than other types of science. Uh, and in the final year, I applied for medical school partly because, well, I still wasn't sure, I think, but I wanted to leave it as an option and I ended up getting in. But it took me until the second year of medical school when we actually got into the hospital to realise that it was something that I could and really would enjoy doing. So it wasn't that you were a mad Grey's Anatomy fan or anything like that? No, I only started watching Grey's Anatomy like much later after its release, but I do watch it now. <laughs> You're probably picking out all the inconsistencies now. <laughs> oh, I just watch it for the drama. Ah, <laughs> oh, the drama and the good-looking doctors. Uh, tell me, Alina, do you ever get downtime? Do you get to chill out? I do, from time to time. What do you I've do? I've found it harder having a less frequent routine um, because I feel like there's so many little bits and pieces that I have to fit together as a puzzle and I have this feeling that there's always something more to do so sometimes I end up feeling guilty for just sitting there and watching Grey's Anatomy or whatever it might be (laughs) that I want to do Um, but I find it's always better if I can plan it because then at least I'm more productive with my time otherwise because otherwise if, if you don't plan it in I find that you just end up doing it at some stage anyway uh, but you don't rest efficiently or you might not be doing what you want to do because you're doing it because you're so tired it's a necessity you don't have a choice to just sit there and watch tv or whatever it is but whereas if i'd planned the downtime maybe i'd be catching up with a friend or something else mm. no absolutely and, and how much uh, how many hours training is required for your event Oh, that's a very difficult question to answer. It's sort of how long is a piece of string people can train for really long periods of time or just shorter. I like the attitude of 
train smarter, not harder. I mean, you do have to put in the hours, but especially when I am working, I may not have the luxury of time as other people have. It depends on where we are in our training cycle, whether they're slightly down days or if we're doing larger blocks of training. So, you know, there might be days where I spend six or seven hours at the range and then there'll be days where that will be limited to two and a half hours. So it just varies really. And is it one of those sports, uh, not having done it myself, I need you to uh, describe it to me. Is that something that you keep going and going and going and going and you improve or is there a point where you just have to step away and think I'm going to come back to this if you're not having a good day? Uh, How does it work when you're a pistol shooter? Well, I think that what you're describing is probably evident in a lot of sports. I think what's important is identifying the problem. So I think if you can identify what's going wrong, it's okay to keep going and rectify it. But I have had those days where something's not right and I can't really pick it. Uh, and occasionally I do just say, oh, I'll just give it another go tomorrow. <laughs> uh, but most of the time there'll be a training plan that's set by our coach and um, I'll complete that. Well, we'll get on to your coach in, in a minute, but uh, tell me as part of your uh, your training and the hours that you put into both careers, how high does sleep rank? Very high. <laughs> Priority number one. <laughs> well, I, I, don't, I don't know. I haven't actually thought about where it sits on the priority list in number four, but it is very high priority. I just feel that if I don't rest well and don't sleep well, then I won't be performing whatever task I have set for the day well. And I've felt that way for a long time. If you go back to uni days and things where people would just be cramming as much as they possibly can before exams, I took the opposite approach. I would try to get some rest and at least go in fresh rather than cramming in things that I'd probably forget anyway. So that's sort of the approach I take here as well. I think it's really important um, to get a good night's sleep. Now, of course, instead of being at the Olympics last year, you were in Victoria as part of that quite lengthy lockdown that the uh, all Victorians had to, had to make it through. How did that affect your life in general? Oh, that's a really difficult question to answer, but it affected my life a lot, of course. I think initially the uncertainty was something I found quite bothersome and I had to find my own ways of dealing with that. Because for me, uh, everything was up in the air, everything professionally and obviously with sport, with Tokyo being cancelled or postponed at least. And uh, professionally, um, I think a lot of doctors worry about taking time off and getting back into the workforce. So I was looking for jobs and things for after Tokyo and um, I found out about my placement that I got a spot in November, I think. So it was quite late in the year. So there was a lot of time that I would have had some, I don't know if it was a lot of anxiety, but generally anxiety around these things of where I was heading professionally and with my sport. Um, So there was relief knowing I got a position as well as happiness, of course, because it's what I want to do. So it's really nice to know that I have a job to come back to after all this. It's very rare in medicine so far ahead that you have a job starting in February, you know, so um, that definitely made things a bit easier. But by that time, we we're already coming out of lockdown. Um, so I was sort of just trying to get by day by day. I think a lot of people had this feeling initially where lockdown you've been given this gift of time you've got to come out with all these new skills and I think that just added a bit to the pressure like sometimes you have to get through the um get through the day or the week or what you know what's coming up and make a short-term plan I really think that we all have to come out of a really stressful time with um you know a bazillion new different skills but 
yeah, so it was challenging, but we're, hopefully we're um, through it now. Yeah, fingers crossed. Uh, that mental health side of it, have you spoken to other Olympians? Is there any communication between the group as a whole as to how everyone coped? Well, I guess I talked to the people that I know. Um, I, we haven't really had a group chat or session with people um, that are already selected or other Olympians. There have been a few engagement things that the Australian Olympic Committee offered throughout the time that you could join in on Zoom. But you get a bit of fatigue looking at screens as well. So I did join in on a couple of those. Um, but uh, I think just connecting with people, friends and family is what really helped a lot of um, a lot of us deal with it all. Do you think for most the, uh, the the prospect of it actually coming up this year is is something that's kept everyone going, or or when you're an athlete because your your routine is so finely tuned towards certain dates, uh, do you think it will just end up being beyond some in being able to stay uh, in peak performance? When you're oh, just okay. so unsure well, I think when it all postponed the year, people shifted their plans. So our training plan changed. Like we were training at home and the volume that we were doing in that time was less because obviously you need to be at your peak later. So sort of had to trust in my coach, um, at the plan, because uh, he's you know, experienced that area. Um, but I think, like, it is challenging, of course. It's a very long lead-up, so it does feel quite unusual, like it's quite tiring. Um, to have it always there in the back of your mind. But I think at the end of the day, anyone who gets there and is able to compete in Tokyo this year, I just feel so grateful that it's happened and that we're able to get together and, you know, put on a performance and compete and participate at all, irrespective of whether or not there's spectators or even the outcome. I think it will be a great experience for everyone um, to get together uh, through the world uh, in such a challenging time. Well, Alina is excelling in her medical career and at the top of her game in her sporting field. Next up, we talk about her path to becoming an Olympian. You're listening to Trailblazers. You're listening to Trailblazers with Stephanie Brands. Does that mean that you were around the sport all the time you were growing up? Well, I wouldn't say all the time. Uh, I think when I was younger, I wasn't so much aware of what was going on, what he was doing. But in my teen years, I did become involved. Um, and it's you know a sport that I've been comfortable with for a long time. Both my parents participated in pistol shooting. And I'd, I'd been to the club before, even before participating um, properly as a sport so yeah it's been it's been around I've been quite comfortable with it for a while. So when did you decide to give it a go? Well I gave it a go one summer holidays in high school I think I was 14 or 15 years old I can't remember exactly Um, my dad took me along to a junior camp um, as part of my summer holidays so the intention wasn't necessarily to start shooting it was just something to do in my break I think at the time I'd met some people that I liked and a few months later I asked if I could start up. And uh, did, were you automatically good at it, I suppose, so because you, you knew how to do it and technique-wise was it something you had nailed from the start? Oh, no. I mean, in that junior camp I had to ask, I had to ask people around me like what to do. I had no idea. Uh, you know, when I started learning, I would have started from scratch. I can't remember exactly how quickly I got the hang of it, but uh, it definitely wasn't something that I could do without instruction. 
So was your experience in 2014, was that the catalyst to actually taking this whole thing seriously? What compelled you to try and qualify for the Glasgow Games? Well, um, the time of the Glasgow Games, I hadn't actually, I wasn't trying to qualify. So uh, in 2014, that was the year that I started shooting again. I think my dad had spent a couple of years overseas. He came back and I just started participating for a bit of fun. Um, I was in final year medical school and we'd just done big exams and I'd returned to Melbourne for six months because I was rural prior to that. So I wasn't um, around Melbourne. I sort of didn't participate at all for a number of years prior to that. And I found that I was actually doing and I was shooting quite well. Um, I hadn't actually started shooting again with the intention of being selected on any teams. I didn't really think much about where it might lead. But around those games, someone, I can't remember who it was now, but they sent me the selection policy and I had a look and I was really close. Uh, and that I think that time I realised that actually yeah, I wouldn't want to be selected for these sort of teams. So that's when I started the thought process about you know, how am I going to do this and um, you know, what am I going to do? Am I going to take it seriously or not? You know, how far can this get me? And it was an interesting time because that's the end of medical school. So the following year, a few months later, essentially, I was starting full-time work. So some might say it's not really the best time to try and start taking a sport really seriously, but here I am. And what was it like uh, with the first green and gold tracksuit? Uh, what was that experience like? Well, my, my, the first team I was selected for, like major team, was Rio. Uh, and then I was selected for Gold Coast um, Commonwealth Games. And obviously prior to that, to national squads for World Cups and things. But, um, you know, going to the World Cups is always a thrill and um, I quite enjoy competing in that environment. Uh, Rio was a remarkable experience. I was very happy to be selected for that. Of course, I, I don't know there'd be anyone out there that wouldn't be thrilled <laughs> after putting in all that hard work and finally getting to participate. So, um, yeah, I've, I've, I'm really happy to have had the experiences that I um, worked for. Well, as you mentioned, being an Olympi Olympian is hugely exciting. And what's it like when you... Do you, do you get a call or does the shooting team actually realise exactly when they've qualified uh, during a competition? Well, um, it's a bit of both. So for Rio, the policy was that um, if you shot a specific score, you got automatic selection and that happened with one of the athletes in the pistol team. And then there was one other to be selected. And it wasn't 100% clear that it would be me um, they had their policy and the selection panel would meet and decide. And that was the same across all the disciplines at that time in Rio, where you could gain automatic selection and the first person would be uh, clearly selected with a second person um, being up to selection panel discretion. So we were just waiting and I was told that I'd get a letter in the email on a specific day. So, you know, there's that uh, typical thing where you check your emails every five seconds and refreshing it to see <laughs> if you've, um, you know, got in or not. But uh, I believe for Rio, we also got a call from the CEO. I'm not sure if it was on the same day. I don't think it was, but uh, we had a chat with the CEO as well. Um, and I can't even remember for the Commonwealth Games, to be honest. It was a bit different this time around for Tokyo uh, because the policy was slightly different. So after the second event, even though there were three selection events, um, uh, after the second one, I pretty much knew that I'd be selected, but that wouldn't be confirmed until 
um, you know, the selection panels and all that mess. It just depends on the policy. And then we got a letter as well confirming the selection or non-selection. And so when you head off to your first Olympics, for someone that's uh, never been there, what what is that uh, experience? What does that experience entail? Uh, obviously, you fly over, I presume, uh, with your team, as it were, and uh, your first Olympic village. Is it quite overwhelming? Yeah, there's so many things, I guess, to look at and be distracted by and to take your attention. Um, it's we did fly as a team. Not everyone flies at the same time. It depends on the time of their event. But with me was my coach and my dad uh, and a few other athletes. So it's always good to be in a group and not be alone. We had a lot of flights. I think we had three flights. So it took a really long time to get there. And then we got to Rio in the middle of the night um, to get settled in, have some food. So, you know, by the time you're getting to bed, it's like 4 a.m. or something like that. And um, and there's the first few days are all just about discovery and I guess setting your routines and knowing where to go and you know, there's a dining hall that you might have to walk 20 minutes to or finding out where to catch the buses uh, it was quite useful to hear about other people's experience prior to that it's not quite the same as seeing it of course but it does prepare you a little bit we had talks about things like media and what to expect and um, you know, after you finish your event. And there is a lot of stuff to consider that you probably would never have thought of before. So definitely was a lot to take in. And did you manage to get to either the opening or the closing ceremony? So I got to the closing ceremony. We didn't go to the opening ceremony because our events were quite early on. Um, we had our pre-event training the day after the opening ceremony. Um, the closing ceremony, um, I remember being quite enjoyable, everyone sort of mingling together, all the countries as we touch out rather than all the countries separate, like in the opening ceremony. But it was pouring rain, so they gave us ponchos. <laughs> it was interesting. It was cool to watch. They have good performances. So, yeah, it was nice that I at least got to experience one of those. And I imagine that your your rivals and the other competitors are, are people that over the, the world circuit you become quite familiar with, is that right? Yeah, I have over the last couple of years have become quite familiar. There are a lot of really great shooters from a lot of countries. Um, it is nice to get to know people. I found it a little bit hard because when you go to an event, obviously your primary goal is the competition. And because of work commitments, I often depart immediately after finishing. So I don't necessarily get to see those people outside of a competition environment and then forward connections, but I am slowly getting to know others um, on the circuit uh, and it's quite nice to make international connections. That's one of the things I hope to come away uh, from my career with. I don't know when it might end, but it would be nice to get to know some people from other countries and learn about their culture. Well, you have competed all over the world, but you mentioned the Com Games on the Gold Coast, which is, uh, you know, theoretically a home games on, on, on home soil, if you like. Silver and bronze uh, were your reward there, but it didn't end there, did it? You went straight on to Changwon in Korea for a World Cup event. Uh, I guess in hindsight, you look back and think, despite the fatigue, it was worth it? Yeah, look, <laughs> now I think it's worth it, having a gold medal from a World Cup event. I remember at the time, being like, oh, I've only got one week before going back to work. I really want to go on a holiday. Like that, that time in Korea, had I not gone there, I would have had something like three weeks or two and a half weeks to go on a holiday because that's one thing that I've really wanted. I haven't had a holiday since 2014. Mm. So I really would like to go on a holiday. And I just remember like agonizing over this decision. Do I go? Do I not go? And at the end of the day, I decided to go. It was like, well, 
ultimately I want to continue shooting and this is going to help me you know, as in my sport and it's going to help me develop my skills. So I begrudgingly went. I think we had one day at home prior to traveling there. Uh, but yeah, looking back now, I'm very glad that I made that choice. Did your dad have any input into that decision? Um, yes and no. I think another thing that was on at the time was one of my friend's weddings. And you also get fed up like missing things. Mm. That's one of the things. You just always miss things. So now I think I'm missing a friend's baby shower because I'm competing that day just in Ballarat. I'll have to tell her about Well, I might be able to make it to the end. But you get used to missing things, but it does get frustrating at times. I don't think he necessarily pressured me into it or anything like that. I don't remember those sort of discussions, but I think he said, oh, you should go. But ultimately he left that one up to me. It was my decision to go. to that one I think if he really believes in something he will put his foot down and say look I think you really need, need to make the effort for this and this but most of the time our ideas of what needs to happen align uh, and but yeah that one was my call so what's it like having a dad who's a who's a coach do your mum and your sister help take the focus off at home not really I don't think my <laughs> mum likes to get involved um, my sister's not into shooting at all either so um, she doesn't really get involved in that but look so it's um it's interesting because it's nice to have someone close but at the same time sometimes it's a little bit too close and we both get frustrated with each other I think um but that that's normal I'm sure um I think the most important thing is just treating each other with kindness and respect which as I've gotten older I've gotten better at I think one of the things when I was younger was I just felt like you know my dad wants you know, wanted to do this. I didn't want to listen. It just felt like another chore, like go wash the dishes or go vacuum or something like that. It, it, you have to have a certain amount of maturity to be able to listen to your parent who's your coach and follow the instructions. Sometimes I still have to remind myself, he's the expert here. Listen, don't just have the immediate child response of, no, I don't want to, you know. <laughs> um, so I've done a lot of work in that area too to uh, be more patient and listen. Uh, so... It's a journey. It is. Don't you love it when we grow up and we get wise? Uh, do, do tell. <laughs> a 25-metre sports pistol is your event in Tokyo. Have I got that right? Yeah, that's right. And I'll also be shooting in the air pistol event as well. So for anyone listening that doesn't know the difference between those two, can you explain? Yeah, absolutely. So the air pistol event is shot at 10 metres. And the gun that you use uses compressed air to fire a little lead pellet at the target. Whereas the 20, oh, and you do 60 shots in that one as well. So you end up with a score out of 600 and then the top eight people will go through to a final. And in the 25 metre event, well, as it sounds, it's 25 metres rather than 10. And we use a different type of gun. Uh, It shoots uh, lead bullets with gunpowder. The targets are a bit bigger because it's 25 metres away and the match itself is actually split into two halves. The first half is 30 shots similar to the air pistol where, you know, you're shooting at the stationary target one shot at a time. But the second 30 shots are what we call rapid fire shooting where you shoot five shots at a time. The way it works is now the targets are electronic, so they have uh, red and green lights. So you'll start with seven seconds on the red light where you're waiting. And as soon as the light turns green, you need to shoot the target. Uh, And you only get three seconds to shoot the target. And they cycle that five times. And after those five shots, uh, that's what we call a series. Um, So you do that six times and that gives you 30 shots. So it probably sounds a bit confusing me saying it. I haven't tried to explain it on radio before. But (laughs) um, anyway, hopefully makes a little bit of sense. But it's a bit faster. It's a bit more entertaining for people to watch. 
Um, so that match is split into the two halves, as I mentioned. But again, you get a score out of 600 with the top eight going into the final. And the final is that rapid fire style shooting again. Oh, brilliant. And uh, I think most people can picture it from what they've seen if they haven't even completely understood what's going on uh, with the red and green lights. Uh, why those events and uh, why Pistol? Well, Pistol, I guess, is what I know through family. That's what I got into um, through my dad. And those events are the events that are available to women. So um, pistol shooting has been changing over the last few years. And with Tokyo, it's great that they wanted to implement equal opportunity for men and women. Um, Traditionally, men had about five events in pistol and women had two, I believe. Um, Now, there's the ones that aren't Olympic events, men and women can enter now at just the club level and um, other competitions. But they've created this team event for air pistol where a man and a woman shoot together to make the team. Uh, And uh, there's a few of those. There's a rifle one and a shotgun one as well. Um, It's just I'm not sure that I'll be the one participating in that event. We've got another air pistol shooter that's most likely going to be in that one. So it's essentially what's available. Um, I quite enjoy the 25-metre event. Well, I I enjoy both of them. Uh, You have different challenges in each and Obviously, things fluctuate in time, but if I were to choose, I'd say I like the 25 metre a bit better. And uh, Elena, it clearly suits you very well because you've uh, you've had enormous success. Have you thought beyond Tokyo or have you learned not to plan too far ahead or you've just got too much on your plate? Well, look, a bit of both. So from a career point of view, if I don't plan ahead, then I'll never get there Um like with fitting in other things, I mean. So um, to be able to participate at sport in this level has taken a lot of planning and a lot of thinking ahead. So I definitely have thought about it, but I guess I reserve any real major decisions until after Tokyo. And I have an idea of what I'd do to continue. And then if I choose not to continue, then I'll have all the time in the world to think about what to do then and focus on medicine. Um, so yeah, I haven't had any, made any hard and fast decisions. I know my my gut feeling. Uh, I'll keep it to myself for now. Um, but um, yeah, so that's where I'm at. Uh, fair enough. We'll have to get you back on after Tokyo to uh, to get the latest on that. But uh, oh, Alina, in yeah, the... I'll give you the goss. <laughs> <laughs> Alina, in the meantime, we wish you all the very best and every success in both your sporting and your medical careers. And thank you so much for spending some time with us on Trailblazers. Oh, it was my pleasure. Thank you for having me. You're listening to Trailblazers with Stephanie Brands. Penny Smith, welcome to Trailblazers. How are you? Good, thank you. How are you? Yeah, very well, thanks. Uh, we're chatting to you because you've actually already qualified for the Tokyo Olympics, emphatically qualified, it must be said. But before we do talk about Tokyo, can you just tell us how you got into trap shooting? Yeah, so trap shooting was never something that I was interested in growing up as a kid. Um, I got into it through my brother, Andrew, after he had a really bad motorbike accident. And he said to me, why don't you come and have a go at clay target shooting? And I said, yeah, okay, I'll have a go. (laughs) And for anyone uninitiated who's listening, uh, can you explain exactly what trap shooting is? So trap shooting, uh, we use a 12-gauge shotgun. We have a bunker in front of us that has 15 traps. Our targets go 1.5 to 3 metres high and up to 100 kilometres an hour. 
Right, so you had a storybook uh, country upbringing. Were you already familiar with uh, using a gun? Not at all. I grew up riding horses all my life and horses was the direction that I wanted to take as a kid. And, yeah, shooting was never in our family at all. Well, equestrian is very much in your blood, correct? Yes, definitely. And I think your mum already uh, went to the, is it the 1984 Olympics? She went as groom to Andrew Hoy. Yes, she is went. Is my information correct? Yeah. <laughs> Yes, that is correct. She did go as a groom with Andrew Hoy in um, 1984. My dad was shortlisted for the same Olympics as well. Oh, wow. And they didn't uh, try and steer you in that direction as an Olympian? Oh, it was always the passion and the drive to finish year 12 and pack up and go to the UK. But yeah, shooting come along and here I am shooting rather than riding. <laughs> well, it could have been any of, of a number of sports, really, because you also played uh, netball and AFL. Did you think one of those might be your your pathway through to uh, competing at the elite level? Oh, definitely. I always had a strong passion for sport all the way growing up through as a child. And it was just a matter of which sport I chose to take and shooting was that sport. Well, AFL, of course, I mean, being Victorian, it's unsurprising that that was part of your sporting lexicon. You're a standout at ruck and uh, centre-half forward, if I recall correctly. How far did you actually pursue that? Because you're probably right around a good time for the AFLW. Yeah, definitely. It was. Um, I was fortunate enough to be selected uh, out of Melbourne to go to the National on the Gold Coast. And then, yeah, had a pretty bad knock and that sort of ended my football career. Do you ever look at the uh, AFLW and, and think, uh, what if or, or what could have been? Yeah, definitely. A few of the girls that I went through my AFLW season with are actually now playing in the big league on AFLW. So, yeah, you never know where sport can take you. Well, AFLW can't take you to the Olympics at this point, and uh, that's where you're headed. You said your brother started competing after he had a, a, an accident that, that saw him take up the sport. What did he say to you that made you want to give it a go? So it was something that I never really thought of, as I said, and we have a Southwest Zone school shoot, which is quite big down in our area, and he needed a team of three for the school. So I said, oh, well, I'll be the third person in the team. And here we are. <laughs> and it was as, as simple as that. And tell me, what is yeah, your pretty what, much. Is, what is your typical day look like? Uh, depending where we're at and what competitions we have up, but a general typical day um, Say, for instance, tomorrow I get up at 4 o'clock, I leave home at 4.30, I'm at work by quarter past five, I work till 2 o'clock and then home by 3 and then training for the afternoon and, and then feed the animals, shower, bed. <laughs> so it's pretty, it's pretty constant then. Now, what is work for you? Uh, so I work at a leisure centre. Uh, so I'm swim teacher, lifeguard, work at the front desk, duty manager, bit of everything at the leisure centre. Well, it sounds like you're absolutely flat out. Is your training actually <laughs> something that you do at home? Yes, I'm fortunate enough to have a layout uh, at my house. So it's literally out the front front window. <laughs> so you're shooting out the front window? <laughs> <laughs> oh, not quite. <laughs> and is that a common occurrence? I've, I've heard of a, a number of uh, athletes that have that opportunity because they live in the in the country is that something that is quite familiar to shooting athletes depends how serious you are and how far you want to take it for me being two hours from melbourne it's beneficial but again some people like to do it for their own benefit but other people like to do it because they're serious about it and what are the qualities you think that uh, actually made you a really good trap shooter um, I'm very dedicated and very driven, so I think that's something that plays into my hands. And you also compete in the uh, mixed event, is that right? 
Yes, with my mixed teams partner, Tom Grice, who's in Sydney. Uh, so how often do you uh, communicate with him? It must have been uh, difficult with you in Victoria during the COVID lockdown. I actually haven't seen Tom since March last year, but we talk on a regular basis. Uh, is it important for you two to work together? Um, I mean, our mixed teams event is still a very in, in, individualised event. Um but I think we have a really good bond on and off the range, so that really helps us get through. And is the way you uh, compete in pairs, is it because uh, it's actually your own performance but uh, scored as part of a team? Have I got that right? Yes, definitely. So uh, Tom shoots his score, I shoot my score, and then we combine those two scores at the end of the round. And uh, how did you end up being matched up with Tom? A bit of a coincidence, actually. So... We shot mixed teams at the inaugural uh, mixed teams event in 2017. So uh, the top two qualifiers, so top two men and women got to shoot with each other. And Tom and I were actually the second qualifiers. And then we went on to win the World Champions. 2017. So it was pretty unique, pretty special. Yeah, indeed it was. And uh, well, Penny, we've heard you became seriously good at this event, both in individuals and in the mixed. But uh, Penny's now awaiting the start of the Tokyo Olympics and the path wasn't without its bumps. Next up, we're going to talk to her about the road to the Olympics. You're listening to Trailblazers on SEN. You're listening to Trailblazers with Stephanie Brands. first two titles were in the Southwest Zones and Victorian Schools competition. What was that that made you realise it was something you could pursue at, say, an elite competitive level? Um, that's a good question, actually. I never did think that shooting would lead me to where I am, but I guess I had a bit of success at club level, then state level and then national level. And I sort of decided then that I really needed to set a few goals and work towards a few things and set a few challenges. And that sort of really drove me to get my plan towards the Games. Well, you went to several World Junior Champs. Uh, what countries did you visit for those tournaments? Uh, it looks like a bit of a trip around the globe. Did you have a favourite? Yeah, so we did travel uh, quite far and wide as a junior. Uh, Germany was the main place that we went to and also Qatar. As a junior, I would say that Qatar was one of my favourite ranges, probably not as much now as a senior. <laughs> what makes a, a range your favourite? What makes one different to another? So I guess over in Europe, they're very manicured ranges. It's sort of green ground, green backgrounds. For me, I sort of like a more of a country feel range. And does it uh, change the way you perform? Not necessarily, no. I think it's just a matter of how you prepare yourself on the day and you're always going to have good matches and bad matches and the weather and all that kind of stuff can play into your hands as well. So, yeah, I think it's just how you bring yourself to the day. And do you think that 2017 was where you really made the breakthrough? Yeah, definitely. It was a very significant year for me um, when I won in New Delhi. I mean, a very big driving force for me was um, my grandma was actually really quite sick in uh, hospital and then she watched me in Delhi when I had my first win and then she passed away not too long after that. So that was a really big driving force for me to, you know, continue a strong year. I went on to win the World Championships with Tom and then, yeah, got Shooter of the Year and that. So it was a was a really big year for me and I sort of dedicated my 2017 to her. Yeah, I'm going to come to those uh, successes and those awards uh, in in a little bit but tell me what qualities are important in a shooter because you weren't having 
uh, a super tournament. You had your grandmother on your mind. What can put you off your game? Yeah, definitely. I mean, she played a big part for me, not only with my shooting, but anything with my horses. She was there at every event that I went to. Every Saturday I played netball. She was there on the fence every weekend. So, I mean, having that on my mind was a significant part. But I guess it comes back to, you know, keeping you focused. And, yeah, doing it for doing it for her, it was really for me. So how did you manage to refocus on that? Was that uh, your coach that helps you with that? Yeah, I mean, uh, through that time, it was quite challenging for our family as well. And um, I did a bit of work with a psychologist and to keep my mind on the job and, you know, just to focus that everything would be all right. And they never go out of your memory that they're always there. And so what did your coach say on this particular tournament to uh, to keep you focused? So my first round wasn't um, too bad. Um, and then I was a bit sort of worked up before my second round. And he said to me, Penny, have a look at the scoreboard. And I'm not one to look at the scoreboard at all and he said what does that say to you and I said oh I don't know the scores are pretty average for this match and he said to me no Penny that spells opportunity so go out there and reap those rewards and that's what I did. Yeah well he was absolutely right and that success in 2017 it earned you the female athlete of the year for shooting Australia the Ashley Adams perpetual trophy for overall athlete weirdly though it wasn't enough to get you into the Com Games team for the Gold Coast what happened there? Yeah, that's a bit of a sore spot, but um, I qualified second. <laughs> but, you know, that's the way it is and that's what the policy was. Shooting Australia had discretion of who they sent for that second spot and unfortunately wasn't me. But sometimes in life things happen for a reason and I believe that happened for a reason that I didn't get to go. So it's just made me a better shooter to who I am now. Can you broaden that a little bit? What happens do you, if you qualify first, regardless of how well you do, does that mean you are the first one in the team? Is, is that how that system works? Yeah, so we go through a selection series. First person who qualifies first is automatically in the team. And then second person comes back to performance and shooting Australia's discretion of who they want to send and Unfortunately, it wasn't me at the time, but as I said, things happen for a reason. Yeah. How hard, though, is it to pick yourself up after that and and continue because you couldn't have done any better? certainly was uh, a knockback for me and something that I had to take a step back and reflect on and, you know, really decide whether shooting was for me and where I wanted to take it. I'm a very driven person and a very driven athlete, so I use that to my advantage to keep going forward. So when you set your sights on Tokyo, you knew you had to be in in first. So what did you know that you had to plan for? How did you set about that? Um, During that time, we'd set out a few goals and a few challenges. The first challenge was to win a quota for Australia, so we had two spots um, for the Olympic Games. I ticked that off in Finland, and then I remember sitting down one night with my brother Andrew and my family and they said to me look Penny if you want to make the games you're going to have to finish first for selection period uh, selection process so that's what I did. Now of course you qualified for (laughs) Tokyo 2020 which has become 2021 when COVID hit the world and the Olympics were postponed how did you deal with that? Yeah I mean everyone was living in an uncertain time but for me I think it really helped me with my shooting I changed a few things and it allowed me to have a bit of time away from shooting work more and then, yeah, just really focused when I needed to shoot. And I'm fortunate enough to have my range at home so I could still do some shooting. A first Olympics, uh, what's special about that? Uh, I mean, it's the pinnacle of sport. Everyone wants to be an Olympian or, you know, that was my childhood dream. So it's really exciting to be able to fulfil that dream that I've had all my life, pretty much. Thank you so much for chatting. And we do wish you all the very best with your preparations for Tokyo.
Thank you very much for having me.